0: Rina, who lie before us, you are now part of us all forever.
1: Rabbi Adia's wife and daughters were murdered in a terrorist attack in Israel.
0: It has taken a toll, and you know I have my times of crying, and uh, if, if you were to get me to talk about Lucy, my and Rina, I would be in tears. So I try not to do that. We asked him how he's dealing with it.
1: How do you still have faith in God? Why do you continue? What's, what's the point?
0: Why? I take what happened to me as a message to wake up and and maybe I was being a bit complacent. I'm inspired by the two of you because of of this amazing podcast you set up. I think that's quite incredible.
2: Hello, guys. Welcome back to the podcast. We're talking to Rob Leo, Rob Leo D. Uh, Do you want to talk about what happened on the 7th of April?
0: Um, I'll I'll talk very briefly. Um, I was driving up in one car. My wife was driving up with another car with uh, two kids in each. And my fifth uh, child, Karen, was uh, working in her um, youth house in Jerusalem uh, for the Shabbat. And um, we were pretty much driving in tandem. And then we discovered, as we got pretty much to our destination in the north of Israel, uh, my sister, who was in the third car with her kids and my parents, uh, called to say there had been a terror attack on the road. Were we OK? So we, were, we said, fine, but I'll call Lucy. No answer. Called Maya. No answer. Called Rina. No answer. And when I checked on Google Family Link, uh, I saw they were in uh, the uh, junction where the uh, attack was. So we turned around immediately, we drove down there and then sadly we discovered it was them. Um, and then we drove down to the hospital to see Lucy who had been uh, airlifted uh, to the hospital and uh, That was how everything unfolded
2: Yeah, so uh, For a bit more context. So your wife and two daughters were oh, So so
0: apparently what happened was they drove a slightly different route to us um, So Google actually directed us um, both the uh, longer route up to the north of Israel. Um, And I changed the route to the 90, uh, which is a straight line. And uh, that's what Lucy normally would have done. We used to have a car for seven people. We would have been in one car, except we sold it about two, three months earlier. Uh, So we had two smaller cars. And I assumed that she would have taken that route as well. She, for some reason, she didn't. And apparently, there were terrorists waiting. Two of them in a car. They swerved the car off the road, and they uh, then shot them at short short range with a Kalashnikov and,
2: and twenty bullets. It's, uh, it's a crazy story. How? So you've you've spoken about this. It, it happened about three or four months ago, and you've spoken about it um, uh, multiple times in different podcasts. How has your feelings changed since four months ago? Or how how do how do you feel towards it now? Um,
0: well, it's um, you know, it, it, it's sort of unbelievable, and uh, I guess part of the way that uh, we deal with it is by denying it happened. But it, I guess over time, it becomes more believable because uh, we miss uh, Lucy and the girls, and uh, their absence is is more and more uh, you know is is more um, uh, poignant. So. Uh, yeah, it's,
1: it's hard just as
0: you as you're describing
1: it about what happened. It's hard for me to even listen to it because as you can imagine, it's just you don't
0: even want to imagine it. How how have you dealt with it? So as I said, in the beginning, we we I guess we were running on adrenaline, so we sort of uh, managed to cope. Um, I drove down to the site and then afterwards I drove down to the hospital despite what had happened, um, which people couldn't understand. But I think that, uh, that was just adrenaline. And then, um, uh, well, we had 30 days of the Shloshim, the 30 days of mourning. And, um, I said to my kids, look, we had phase one of our lives. That was with seven of us, two parents and five kids. And now we are in phase two and that's one parent and three kids. And, uh, you know phase one was happy and we have no regrets and phase two is going to be happy as well we've got to be able to live it with no regrets and uh it's tough you know we're all suffering and uh, we have ups and downs but um life has to go on uh, you can't uh jump off it makes it sounds so easy in theory well, we've we've had a lot of support, I have to say. The community here in Efrat um, is fantastic. So we haven't had to cook any food. They've been cooking for us. They looked after us during the shiver. Haven't had to make any decisions at all for anything. Um, and um, the kids you know, are back into their routines pretty much. Um, and that helps. Um, yeah, You know what? We had a birthday party for Lucy yesterday. It was her birthday. And we invited 20 of her friends around and and we went around the room and everyone talked about the impact she'd had on their lives. And it turns out it was a very big impact in everyone's life, uh, obviously on mine and the kids as well. But the thing about Lucy was she was very much um, self-made. She um, came from a family where um, her parents split up when she was 12 uh, and she had two uh, twin sisters of three years old. And she was left looking after them basically from that point for the next six years till she went to university, and um, she um, did her but child course in a in a shul in London, um, and I discovered only during the shiva that um, the teacher apparently uh, her father approached the teacher afterwards, and asked for private lessons. So she went for th- uh, three years to private lessons to this uh, teacher in the suburb, who. Um, really taught everything about Judaism, and uh, she would help her make Shabbat, she would spend Shabbat with them many times, um, and she really formed herself, and um, she was very resilient, very robust, and she wanted uh, her kids, our kids, to be robust as well, so she, we brought them up in a way that they were very independent, able to cope through pretty much everything. Uh, they were in charge of everything in their own lives, and, um, a cl- very close family, but uh, there was, you know, very little, uh, you know, cuddling. Um So, and I, I, she brought me up as well. I mean, she sort of made me independent and uh, she transformed my life. She transformed their lives. She transformed my friends' lives. She was quite demanding in the sense that, you know, she expected everyone to be the best they could be. And she um, really encouraged everyone to, 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 to grow. And uh, that was her impact. So, you know, she's left us very well equipped in a strange sort of way.
2: At what point during your life did you meet her? Well, when did you meet her? Um,
0: so there are two stories, but I'll, I'll give you her story out of respect for, for Lucy. But uh, I was at Cambridge University and I left in 94. She was in Oxford University and a friend of mine was doing a PhD in maths in Oxford and I went to visit him for Shavuot in 1995. So uh, along with another friend from uh, from Cambridge. And uh, it was for Shavuot. And Lucy um, was organizing Tikkun Leil, so that was the all-night learning for Shavuot. And the rabbi that she'd organized in Oxford uh, called her from a car um, two hours before the Chag came in for the festival and said, "Um, I'm sorry, but basically I've got a better offer and um, I'm not coming. So she depended on him to to teach uh, Torah lessons for um, six-hour slots. And suddenly she had 50 people turning up 50 students and no one to speak. So she called her friends, and everybody prepared something. Six, you know, six hour slots. But she was worried that they would only last about 20 minutes because nobody really had much to say. Um, and I turned up with uh, Dov and Yoav. And apparently, Lucy remembers that I asked lots of questions, and each hour slot went on from 20 minutes to the end of the hour, and then people were there for, uh, you know, in five o'clock in the morning for for dovening. So uh, that was Lucy's story. That's a nice story. <laughs> yeah, well, the ne- next day, Dov invited uh, um, Lucy over as well, so the four of us, and we played bridge. And um, the two of us played against the two PhD mathematicians and we beat them. So uh, <laughs> Lucy, Lucy remembers that. She says that I was overbidding and she was underbidding. <laughs> and that, that continued throughout our lives. I bid <laughs> and she underbid, so uh, <laughs> we, we, were, we were a good team. Sounds uh, like a match made in heaven. It was, you know, it was. It was. I, I've said to people that, uh, you know, it, I, I think people imagine that it was this perfect uh, harmony, uh, but in fact, it was quite. Uh, you know, it, it, the, the kids would testify that we were quite uh, vociferous, quite a lot of time with each other, and um, I think the uh, Rabbi Eliezer in the Gomorrah says on the on the verse of the Torah that says that uh, Eve is an Ezek that she is um, a helper against him, against Adam. And uh, one interpretation that he gives in the Gemara is that um, if he deserves her, then um, um, she is against him. If he doesn't deserve her, then then, uh, she is uh, aggressive towards him. So the best scenario according to that version of the Gemara is that actually a husband and wife should have a lot of tension in their relationship and and i think that's very good because it means that you bring the best of each other out in other words you uh you know she she was pushing me always to to do a bit more and i was pushing her to a bit more and um if it's done with respect then then uh you sort of you grow and that's uh that's a healthy relationship which is again it's different to what one normally thinks you know when you're looking for a spouse you think that you want something which is peace and calm or whatever but actually i think that would be a pretty boring life
1: after you met Lucy and then you, you beat her a game of bridge, which I'm sure you never forgot about and you talked about throughout your marriage. Did it, or how did it go from there?
0: Um so yeah, so we we um we lived in, in Hampstead at first and then um we lived in the suburb. Um we took a year off to travel um after about a year and a half of marriage. Um I was working very hard at long hours. And she was working long hours and we didn't see much of each other. So we said, fine, we'll quit. And at the time, maybe today too, if you're British citizen, you get a a one-year working visa for Australia. So we did. So we traveled three months through Asia on the way and three months through uh, South America on the way back. And we worked in Australia for six months. And um, it was a fantastic time. And I've recommended to all my kids, they do the same when they get married they spend a year traveling with their spouse because you get to really spend quality time get to know them uh, see them in in every situation and uh, under stress and you get to learn everything about them so uh, i highly recommend it maybe to you guys as well if you're not married already
2: (laughs) maybe one day this podcast is sponsored by iceberg iceberg is an seo company unlike any other most seo companies tie you into a six-month pricey contract They have terrible customer service and don't actually get results. But Iceberg is different. Iceberg has no contract, has amazing customer service. You can contact them any day, any time, and they'll be there for you. They actually get results and they don't charge a ridiculous amount. In fact, they'll beat any genuine quote you get by 20%. Yes, you heard that right. They'll beat any genuine quote you get by 20%. So if you're interested in working with Iceberg, the link in the description so as i understand uh cambridge is in london right so you were Cam- 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 cambridge is, uh, cambridge is uh, outside of london outside of london but it's in the uk so you were living yeah. in the uk at the time then you went traveling at what point did you move to israel so um we came out from traveling i worked for four years um in um management
0: buyouts which is like finance is it aware, and, so for um,
1: 40, 40 years
0: No, four years, four years. Oh, four four years. years. Yeah, that was from from 2000 to 2004. Um, And then I quit. And um, I think that probably uh, Lucy's impact on me because I probably would have continued doing that for many more years. But she um, was assistant. uh, we go to Israel. I started to be a rabbi for four years. And then we came back on Shlichut uh, and I was a rabbi in Hendon, assistant rabbi in Hendon. And then a senior rabbi in Radlett for three years, was, and then we went back. I was, I was in Hendon. yesterday, yeah. and they and they
1: all mentioned and a few people mentioned it to me.
0: Okay, okay. so uh, yeah, I was assistant rabbi 2008 to th- 2011. Yeah. And that, oh, and then you and then you went from there. Uh, you went to Israel back. Uh, so, so for from 2011 2014, I was in Radlet, and yeah. then. Uh, back
2: 2014 to to now we've been in Israel so you mentioned on a previous podcast about Israel and about how it's still the safest place in the world and still the best place in the world to live Uh, how could you feel that after what happened well um,
0: I was working actually before all this happened I was working as a maths teacher so uh, I understand statistics um, I think, I don't, I, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I think the first six months of this year, about 25 people were killed in, in uh, terror attacks in Israel, um, which is a you know, relatively low number, unless the three of them are your family. Um, 180 were killed in car crashes, to put it in perspective. So, uh, you know, so you have much greater chance of being uh, killed in a car crash than being killed in a terror attack in Israel. So statistically... Um, it's very safe here. Unfortunately, for me um, and for my family, that didn't work for us this year. But um, the life expectancy, which is the figure you should be looking at, is about three years higher in Israel than in England, and five years higher than in America. So uh, Israel actually is one of the longest, as has the one of the longest life expectancies of of, of any country in the world. Um, and that's because it's got a very good health system. It's got uh, healthier food. Uh, less cancer, less uh, diabetes, less general disease, uh, and a good climate. So uh, so if you want to live longer, you come to Israel and, uh, you know, terror, to be honest, you have more chance of being stabbed on the streets of Manchester than you have of being killed in a terror attack in Israel. So you always
2: seem very, I wouldn't say positive in spite of what's happened. but you don't seem like it's taken a massive toll on you. Uh, How how? I suppose. Um, I, I, I,
0: I think um, it has taken a toll, and you know, I have my times of crying. And uh, if if you were to get me to talk about Lucy and my and Rena, I would be in tears. So I try not to do that. I had an interview with Mariv, um last week, and I had to speak for about three hours about them, and I was in tears the whole time. Um, I, I think that um, you know, as I, I said at the Levaya. At the funeral, I said that uh, you know, if you if you focus on the good, um, that that's always a good um, approach to life. And bruch Hashem, I have you know three lovely kids, and they need me to be strong, and I need them to be strong. And so we have to focus on our family, which is currently four of us, and uh, you know, we have wonderful memories, and uh, we won't forget them. And we're doing a lot of different things in their memory. In fact, a lot of people around the world are doing things in their memory. Um, In fact, thousands of projects are happening actually around the world in their memory. So uh, as one rabbi put it, um, Rabbi Shapira from uh, Ramat Gan, um, he said that normally one does um, activities Eloi Neshama of the deceased. That means to to help their soul to rise up uh, in heaven. But he said, in the case of people who die, Hashem, in other words, people who die in a, in a tragic uh, terror attack like this, um, he said, the Gemara explains that um, they're at the highest level beyond even the highest um, rab, rab, rabbis in the world. And there's absolutely no place higher than they can get from there. So he said, in this particular case, he said, people doing projects for them are not doing it for their elevation of their souls, but they're doing it for the elevation of all our souls. Um, it's almost like this," he said, there's like a mirror in, in heaven and it's reflecting back. Everything that people are doing in their memory is actually reflecting back on the whole world. And I, I feel that to a certain extent. You, you
1: mentioned uh, about memories of Lucy. Uh, what, what was your, if you don't mind me asking, what was your best and brightest memory with her?
0: I mean, yeah, lo- lo- lots of memories. I mean, for- fortunately we had, um, we were going up for Pesach uh, with the family with my parents and my sister and, and nephews um so it was, it was on the Friday the first day of uh, of Pesach. we'd spent a beautiful uh, Saturday night all together with nine of us around the table um but because we were with my my family as well for the for a few days in in, uh, in the Sea of Galilee in the Kinneret, um I told Lisa that we'd go away first just the two of us so we'd actually spend a couple of days that week in the Dead Sea. So I guess my most recent memory was a beautiful holiday with the two of us, a special time together. We we had a year together traveling around the world. We would, uh, during COVID, we spent all the time together and we would actually illegally drive down to the Dead Sea from where we lived um, and hike um, because we figured we weren't weren't actually going to um, cause anyone any harm. And after COVID finished, we continued taking Thursdays off um, both of us and we 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 went hiking in the Dead Sea or swimming in uh in in the Mediterranean in the summer and uh I guess we had more time together as a couple than most people have in a in a lifetime and a half so uh you know we we really did uh enjoy each other's company and uh you know many many lovely memories <laughs>
1: So through all of this, after what's what's happened, I mean, you, like you, like we introduced you as Rabbi Leo D. How how do you still have faith in God?
0: Well, it, so I always always think of um, the um the Rabbi Sachs, that's all, and uh, he always talks about a particular Holocaust survivor, and I guess I'm a Holocaust survivor. <clears throat> the Jewish people lost a third of the. Uh, the population. In the Holocaust, I lost 44% of my family um, two months ago. Um, and he, he had asked this guy, you know, this this uh, Holocaust survivor said, uh, he was often asked how I can believe in God after the Holocaust. He said, I can believe in God. He said, how can I believe in man? So uh, I guess the way I look at it is, you know, I uh, have no problem with God. I have a problem with Palestinian terrorists. I have a problem with the Iranian uh, terror state. And I guess um, I'm doing a number of projects at the moment to try and see what we can do to um, change the situation in the Middle East. What sort of projects? I'm um, I've, I've actually um, working on something quite exciting, which is a peace plan uh, with a uh, imam in the north of Israel. And um, we've come across a potential structure for the Palestinian people, which would be uh, Basically positive for uh, religious Jews, Jews in general, and all the Palestinians and Gazans as well. So uh, it feels like it's a bit of a shidduch. Uh, we came across this idea, and um, I need to sort take t- a few boxes. Um, uh, there's one particular person who has to sort of approve it before I, we can announce it. Um, but if if that goes well, then we're hoping to announce something in the beginning of July. Uh, which could be uh, could be a structure, uh, which is different to all the current existing possibilities, which don't work. So all these projects have started the uh, silver lining? Um, I, I don't know if the silver lining. I think that uh, what happens, uh, sadly, in, the, in this situation, but a number of things happened. Uh, number one is I could open any door. So um, what I found was that because of what happened, uh, not only did we have tens, tens of thousands of people come to the shiva, but uh, after the shiver, when I picked up the phone to people, they would speak to me. And uh, so I've been using that to try and see what uh, what good I can do with that. Um, I think also you get a sort of level of clarity when things like this happen, which you
2: perhaps don't get in normal life. you know, it's a sort of a jolt. Are you uh, uh, can we talk about CNN because you've spoken about them before? they did a piece. Where I'm not sure who it was, I can't remember her name, but she said that your wife and two daughters were killed in a gunfight, which it clearly wasn't. It was a terror attack. Um, mm-hmm. so are what is there any updates in the CNN thing? Are you suing so, them? Um, so
0: there's an organization in Israel called Shurat Adin, and they're um a charity which basically uh pays for legal cases against um terror organizations and um cnn um uh, might be classified um and under i might come under their uh remit and uh we're currently discussing how to take this forward so uh, yeah wait wait and see but uh, the overall objective is um you know if we were to sue them for a large number would really be to try and transform cnn into a peaceful sort of pro-israel organization that would be the uh the overall objective and um I think that um, depending on how how we take this, we could uh, see a change in in the way they're going to report in the future and other other news organizations, because they might think twice about uh, the the risk, financial risk to themselves of uh, basically reporting what I call anti-truths. So it's not just lies. um, It's actually when they report the opposite to the truth. So the the regular uh, uh, narrative for a lot of these organizations has been that um, Israel is the aggressor and uh, the Palestinians and the Arabs are the the victims. Um, Actually, the facts speak uh, the opposite. And uh, I think we can show that quite uh, graphically, as I have um, to a number of the EU representatives recently. And uh, hopefully we'll take that. uh, I'm coming to the UK in a couple of weeks. Um, We'll hopefully bring that to um, to, to the British Foreign Minister and and, and others as well. I think we can prove that uh, the situation is very much, as we as Jews know, that we are the victims of a uh, a campaign of terror. Um, It's pretty obvious. It's not difficult to prove it. And um, if that's the case, then uh, effectively some of these uh, news organizations are effectively fiction uh, organizations rather than uh, fact. Um, which interesting brings a, a question about their subscribers who are paying for news, uh, and uh, whether or not you know they uh, should be paying for this type of service, uh, if 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 it's described as a factual type of service. You mentioned
1: about about you coming to the UK doing all these fantastic things, which is amazing. It really is amazing. And is there anything else also that's uh, just to hear about all the all the project or something else you might be doing? Is there anything else that. Uh...
0: I something else, which I'm interested in. I don't know how much uh, impact we have, but um, there's interesting issue in Israel regarding uh, conversion. It's basically a conversion crisis. Um, why is that? Because um, the conversion in Israel was set up for individuals who come to uh, a shul, let's say in England or um, America or South Africa, somewhere and they want to convert, maybe they have a Jewish father. Um, they join a synagogue, or they attach themselves to a synagogue, they become close to the rabbi, the rabbi then can refer them to um, the Israeli authorities for, and they get a visa and they come to Israel, and they can convert, or they can convert locally and that system is what's been in place for about the last 100 hundred years or so. Um, there's a new phenomenon which you may not be aware of but it might be something for you to uh, to, to maybe make a podcast about. In Africa and South America, other parts of the world as well, there are whole communities of Christians who are becoming Jewish. And uh, we're talking tens of thousands. Um, there's a very nice book, actually, about um, Jews in the Andes. If you, if you Google uh, Andes and uh, Jews or whatever, there's, uh, I, I can't remember the name. Um, but it's a story about 150 Jews who, convint, who converted about 10 years ago uh, en masse with the uh, rabbinate in Israel. And then a further 100 of them, I think, came out five years later. And... Um, this is a very different phenomenon to an individual coming to a shul. So what's happening is that these Jews um, are not getting uh, access generally to rabbis who can convert them, because they're in non-conventional uh, com- communities where they're wearing a, a talis and tefillin, and the women are covering their hair and they keep shabbat and they're eating kosher, but they don't have a traditional rabbi in charge, um, and therefore they can't get the references they need in order to to come on Aliyah or to uh, to convert officially. So um, so it needs to be a little bit of a sort of uh, reworking of the conversion uh, system in this country. And um, what I've discovered is that um, it, it needs a little bit of help. So uh, my first job, actually, when I came out of university was a, a uh, management consultant. So uh, I'm not sort of uh, unaware of the problems you have in large organizations with the uh, organizing things and um, the Knesset is um,
2: one of those places. Are you fed up with constantly grappling with your tax return? Well look no further. Kangath accountants have never made it easier to manage your HMRC self-assessment. You will get a tailored service that will save you hours of your time and make sure you never miss that dreaded deadline again. So what are you waiting for? Head over to kangathltd.com. That's c a n g a f l t d dot com or click the link in the description to see more. Yeah,
1: yeah say so that's quite an interesting one. Um, if we just, if you don't mind, just going back once more, uh, you when 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 what or when that happened a couple of months ago, where your uh, your uh, your wife and two, I think it was two kids, two daughters, um, died or were were murdered. You, I remember you made waves across, well, across the world really, with how you acted like the next few days, I, like just admiration from everyone on how you acted. I talked to so many people, and just how you, you got news together. You, you gave a report. You, you pulled everyone together. Everyone put something in the WhatsApp status, the Instagram story, uh, from you as you asked that people to put it on to share something. It was, it was incredible. Yep.
0: Well, I, I had a dream, uh, literally, um, between the two funerals, because the, the girls were buried on the Sunday, I think, and, and Lucy on the Tuesday, and the Monday. I woke up in the middle of the night, and um, I had an idea to ask people to send a flag of themselves uh, on social media. Wrote a few ideas down what to say on my phone, went back to sleep, and then the morning I wrote it down and I asked the mayor of Afrat if he would invite uh, all international media to come to a press conference, which again, none of which was very logical, none of which was likely to happen, and yet it did. Um, so I made an announcement that I wanted people to, to do this, uh, to support Israel, uh, to support good against evil. And what happened was uh, quite remarkable that literally tens of millions of people participated in this around the world, Jews, non-Jews. Um, and when people ask me why I did I say, I can't really tell you why I did it, but I can tell you what it achieved. That um, from what people tell me, um, basically, the Jewish people are like the world worldwide web of good. And every one of us is like a node in that network. And that means that if you have a good idea, you can pass it on somebody else and they can pass it on somebody else and generally it will spread like wildfire, um, if it's a good idea. And um, the network had not been used for many years. I think we were very busy with Instagram and with Minecraft and with uh, Facebook, or whatever. Uh, and uh, since Soviet jury campaign, we really were not using this network for much good. And uh, when, when I asked people to do this, I think people saw the network is intact uh, the Jewish unity is stronger than it's ever been and it's there for everyone to use so it's nothing to do with me uh, you know now people are setting up projects that say all over the world uh, many of them have asked if they can do it in, in memory of Lucy and Meyer and Rina and we're delighted but to be honest uh, a lot of things are happening without their names attached and that's just as good even better um, i can give you some examples so for example um, uh, a couple of girls, Libby and Dalia, friends of Maya, were with us for Shabbat a year ago. For uh, They were at uh, SEM, Seminary Midrashah, and we invited them for Shabbat. And while well, we were having Shabbat's meal, so we, we, we went through a couple of uh, Perkiavot, Ethics so, of the Fathers, and we discussed them around the table. And that was 10 minutes, and that was that. So when this happened, uh, Libby and Dalia wanted to, to, to do something. So they started a Perkiavot project, which I don't know if you've, you've presumably you've heard of it. Um, and it went viral, and there are probably about a hundred thousand people now learning uh, Vod around the Shabbos table around the world in ten different languages, um, and that number is growing really, really rapidly at the moment. Um, I've asked them if they could extend it to the Christian community because um, if if eleventh uh, language could be added, which is what I've called Christian, um, it's a language which would not be offensive to Christians who wanted to study these beautiful ideas. Um, Somebody then said to me, what about Arabic? Uh, I know there are lots of Muslims who would like to study these types of texts as well, and some of these texts already appear in the Quran, because the Quran was uh, written after the Mishnah, and a number of Mishnahs actually do appear in in the Quran as well. So a lot of these texts are common to all the religions. Um, So so effectively she started something which has gone global and very rapidly. Um, This week, last week I had, a scribe and some rabbis come around to my house to a promotional video for a, a project uh, with uh, about Sefer Torah. So they've started with one Sefer Torah, one Torah scroll, um, and they plan. There are about three hundred thousand letters in the Torah scroll. They plan to get each letter written by a different uh, person in Israel: child, woman, man. Does not matter, um, and they can fund it because people pay like five or ten shekels per, per letter. With the funding they get from that, they can actually write another four or five uh, scrolls. The plan is to do 50 scrolls, which would be about 15 million letters, and have every Jew in the world write a letter in the safer Torah in this project. Um, so whether or not they will get around to everybody, I don't know. But I'm talking in terms of the scale of these type of projects, um, you know, the, the the sky's the limit. So uh, a Torah scroll may be coming to you soon. Uh, yeah, that's it um let i mean
1: you you start like you have talked about some of your really amazing projects that you're doing which is which is great reaching people from all over the world connecting people connecting communities connecting jewish people um let me if you don't i'll i'll ask you one question so most of this happened since the deaths of your the death of your wife and your two daughters if i'm correct
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Do you think this could be? I mean, you're doing amazing work. Do you think this could be to like sort of to fill
0: the void? Um, yeah, I, I look at it differently. I, I say to people, um, yeah, you know, this, this week's Pasha was Shalach Lecha um, which uh, God says to Moses, lecha anashim, send uh, for yourself, uh, people, right? And, and it's basically it's about the, the uh, the 12. Uh, spies who are sent to spy out the land of Israel, 10 of them come back, as you know, and say that uh, it's not a place to dwell, and two of them, Kalev and uh, Yeshua, say it is a good place, and what happens is that God punishes the Jewish people with the greatest punishment in the whole Torah, uh, in the whole history, which is basically he he condemns the whole uh, people to death, effectively over 40 years in the desert, and only those under the age of 20 will actually make it into the land of Israel. Anyone over the age of 20 is going to die in the desert and will never make it, including Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. So um, the question is, why was this such a great uh, sin, uh, given that uh, God already forgave uh, the Jews for the golden calf, which one would have thought was a Mosovic sin? So I want to give a, a different explanation, to one you've heard before, uh, possibly. Uh, we know that Caleb, according to the Torah, went to Hebron. And we know Hebron is the place where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were, were buried. So I think that one could say that maybe uh, Caleb went to visit the grave of Abraham. Abraham um, was uh, the change agent of the Jewish people. Um, he was the person probably in history who changed the most from idolatry to being the first monotheist. And um, yeah, that was a tr- massive transformation. In the meantime, the other 10 tribe lead- leaders basically didn't want change. They wanted to live in the greatest kollel that existed in the world, uh, the greatest yeshiva, the greatest le- Jewish learning institution. They had Moses as their teacher. They had free food from the manna. They had clothes that never wore out. Um, and they were complacent. And they said, let's uh, just continue as we are. It's great. I have no complaints. And it was Caleb and Yeshua who said, let's, let's actually, let's move on to the land of Israel. Let's uh, make a change in our lives. And God punishes the people for complacency, basically for, for not wanting to change. Maybe the message there is that Jewish people have to change. They have to constantly be on the change. They have to try and develop. They have to grow. And uh, maybe uh, I take what happened to me, uh, maybe as a message to wake up. And, and maybe I was being a bit complacent. And uh, there is a, a, a an idea in Jewish uh, philosophy that um god punishes people or uh, he brings upon us uh disasters or tragedies often when we are complacent and uh and he wants us to uh, to to move so my advice to you and to the viewers is you know if there is something which you're passionate about and you feel that uh, you want to do do it I, I can see you two are, are entrepreneurs so you, you you're doing it But for some of your viewers who perhaps are less actively involved in in different projects, if you have a passion, that means God is telling you to do something. Um, And don't say, I'll do it when I retire. Say, I'll do it now. And if you can change yourself by doing that, then you change the world. If you can change yourself, you might be able to change one other person, a friend. So do that with someone else. And if you can change two people, you can probably change a group. And if you change a group, you can change. Your community. Maybe you can change the country. You can change the world. So you know, it, it, God's given us all these passions and abilities. Um, if there's something you really want to do, it really has to come from inside. Uh, I guess when you started this podcast, it was something that you, you was really nagging at you that you wanted to uh, make a difference. Um, and other people have other things that they're passionate about, and hopefully they will want it as well. And uh, I'm sure um, you spend less time on your mobile phones. Uh, than you did before you had this podcast, and yeah, sounds, uh, yeah, sure that's that, very yeah. healthy. And I'm yeah. sure people, would to spend, you know, take an hour or two off their uh, their technology and actually plan something with other people, they would get a lot of pleasure out of it, and they would make a ma- much more of, a, of, of an impact on the world. So I think there's a message here, and uh, also think that um, Israel has gone through a massive transformation this year. Um, which has gone over the heads of many people, particularly those outside of Israel, Um, less so those inside Israel. We're feeling it every moment. Israel is now 75 years old in the the state of Israel. Um, 75 is three times 25, and 25 is one generation. So effectively, we're now here for three full generations. And as we know in Jewish thought, three times is a chazaka, which means that if something happens three times, it's like it's going to happen forever. So Israel is now here forever. There's no question about its existence. There's no question about its continuity. Uh, we're safe. We have the best army in the world. Uh, we are actually going to protect, the if, if we end up attacking Iran and their nuclear facility in the next few weeks, which looks pretty certain, we will end up protecting America and Europe from that nuclear threat. So Israel is really the the, the leading force in the world, not just in in, in, uh, in terms of its army, in terms of technology. We have the top technology companies in the world um higher per capita startups as you know every american uh, technology company has a um, an r d lab in in israel uh they're desperate by the way for uh uh technology uh, people they're desperate here for english teachers um there is room here for every jew in england to come and live here and uh, it would make a massive impact and all i can say is that if you want to live here which I imagine most of you would, and you certainly you want your kids to live here, now is the time to come. Uh, Property prices are going up through the roof. The the shekel is getting stronger against the pound and the um, ability for an English person to actually live here, it's getting more and more expensive. So if you're deciding to come in Aliyah, which you should be, then you should be doing it soon. Uh, Pretty much as you know from your business, every business can be run, run remotely now. So there's pretty much no excuse after COVID for anyone having to be stuck in England. Uh, the climate is better. Um, Jewish life is better. Uh, it, Jewish education is better. They, pretty much everything is better here, except road safety. But um, we've got something <laughs> else which, you know, If if they let me interfere, I would uh, I would get involved in it. Wow, you know, I know, re- I really like how
1: you turn that answer into something really really positive. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing to see that uh, with all those points that you made. Just I mean, just leading off that that question. Um, I know Aaron touched upon this before, is about why do you continue? And you mentioned, speaker, I mean, you've got your family, but you mentioned a few things. But I still, if you don't mind me asking, we'll go back to that question. Why do you continue? What's what's the point? I mean, you might say, okay, we've got other
0: family, we've got all these different things. But yeah, why? Let me tell you something. There's been a misunderstanding in uh, in grief and mourning. Um, and I've seen a lot of books written about it, which I found very disappointing. Um, If you look at the Jewish tradition, it's very clear to me that if somebody has lost a close family member, they are, uh, certainly a man, is required to say uh, Kaddish, but also to lead the prayers, right, and often to even to uh, be called up into the Torah and to get many different honors in the synagogue. And if you think about that, it's very odd. Why would you Take someone who is pretty much, you know, uh, as as in in your sort of uh, idea of of someone who's mourning, uh, tearful and uh, miserable and depressed, and stick them in front of the community um, to do this. It it would be pretty uh, sadistic. So I want to give you a different idea, which is that perhaps the Torah is saying to us, and the rabbis, that actually somebody who's lost a, a family member, should become an example to the community. They should become um, a a personal example. They they should rise to the occasion and provide uh, a different uh, outlook uh, to people who are complacent and perhaps who are living in comfort and without problems. Um, And I think that's what the Torah does. It sticks you in the front and and makes, and, and says very loudly to everybody in the community, if this person can still believe in God after what's happened, then you know what what uh, what excuse do we have uh, for for not right? So you know, we, we, if you've got a good life and everything's going well, and you generally think it's all because of the hard work you're putting in, uh, think again because actually it's because you've been put there by God to do to do something more important. Um, one of the things that I learned from my daughter Reena um, was that. Um she was very smart. She got 100% in every test she did in her whole, whole life. But she chose when she chose high school here not to go to the most academic, to go to the less academic high school which was a boarding school. And um the reason was she felt that if she could do the work in 10% of the time that everybody else could, she could spend 90% of her time doing something more productive. And she did. She made um friends with a lot of girls. She uh Helped a lot of girls who were struggling uh, socially, um, she helped girls who were struggling academically, she was very involved in her youth group, she was a youth leader, she used pretty much took control of the youth group, and uh, even managed all the other youth leaders, um, because it was a new uh, youth club that just started up, so she took control of that, and because she was so um, able in her academics, she had a lot more time to do something more useful with her life. And because of that, her friends remember her. Um, they've set up a huge number of different projects in her memory. And she's made a massive impact, continues to make a massive impact on this world. If she'd have just been a student at a top school and just been studying, uh, I don't suppose anyone would have much to say about her, except that she was a good student, which isn't really much, uh, uh, much of a recommendation. So I think that um, there's a big lesson here which is that you know if you're smart um, that's not a reason to work harder at your studies but it's a reason to get your studies done quicker and to try and use that time more productively for something which is much more important and um, transformational it's but
2: yes yeah, right. it, it's a really good mindset to have i just i, I want to know how your kids how how you've managed to put that onto your kids and whether your kids have taken these same roles that you're taking which is trying to do more and and be more after the uh, after what happened. I th- I think that uh, I mean the kids. You
0: know, th- it's different for them because they they have their school. Um, Karen is working hard in her. Um, she's in a bait which is a we um, don't have it in England. It's it's um, kids from abused families are uh, put by social services into like a into a house uh, with multiple flats, and they have a religious couple with a couple of kids. Um, who are the parents and they have uh, 12 boys uh, or girls of different ages who live together, these are the kids, and they have uh, girls who are doing national service who are the helpers, and they live together in a separate flat, about 20 of them and um, every morning she gets up at 6 o'clock to help the kids to have breakfast, she uh, gets them out to school, she then uh, looks after them from 2.30 in the afternoon when they come back from school till 10 o'clock at night when they go to bed, and um they literally are parents uh, to these kids and she's making a huge impact actually since this happened um these kids who generally are quite tough and not you know not not easy to deal with have given her a huge amount of respect because of what's happened they you know they they feel for her and she's been able to have a massive impact on these kids and she's staying there another year please god next year and um she's transforming these kids' lives um Tali um already got into the Air Force uh, just before this happened. She just qualified, which is quite unusual for a religious girl to get into the Air Force as a pilot, uh, pilot training at least. Um, so she'll be doing that, but she's doing a year in Midrash Sharon seminary next year, before that. So that's um I'm very proud of her. So that's plenty for her to do. Um, and Yehuda's just got into the top high school, one of the top high schools in Israel, uh, which is actually in Efrat. Uh, it's a boarding school. Um, but they get up at 6.45 in the morning, uh, start Torah study, so Torah study till about 12, 1 o'clock. Then they study secular studies till about 5 or 6 o'clock. Then they have another couple of hours of Torah. 8 o'clock, they finish uh, their official learning. Then they have uh, uh, boarding school until about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And then they go to bed. So uh, that, that's his, his schedule as of, um, as of September so uh they're, they're pretty busy kids and uh you know it, it's it's uh, it's a good life in it israel i mean that's uh you know they they, they get stretched and um there are tremendous opportunities
2: for, for kids and for adults. i mean do you just want to give a quick word of inspiration to people that uh, are listening before we end it? the whole podcast i mean yeah has been inspirational but uh <laughs>
0: I, I think that um, yeah, my, my greatest inspiration would be, um, you know, I, I want to be inspired by you. I, I'm, I'm inspired by the two of you because of, of this amazing yeah. podcast set up. I think that's quite incredible that uh, at your age, you're uh, you're already doing something this this great. Um, I think that everybody's capable of, um, <clears throat> of doing something, something great. And as I said, it doesn't have to be for the whole world. It can be for one individual, for yourself. You know, you could learn something for the first time. You could become an expert in something. You could uh, help a a friend to do something. You could visit uh, elderly people. You could work with them and and inspire them. Um, There there are many different things that people can do, um, and it really depends on them. Everybody has one thing which they're meant to do, and generally, they, they have that feeling inside them that they want to do it. And usually they put it off and put it off and say, you know, I'll prefer to sit in front of the TV or, or uh, in front of my my telephone. Um, so I guess the inspiration is ple- please inspire yourselves. I find what that little spark is and uh, work on it and, uh, and develop it because every single one of you can change the world. And, uh, you know... No, no one is more special than anybody else. We all have the ability inside us to uh, be transformative, and that's something which I learned from Lucy, and the kids learned from her, and uh, we're going to continue doing that. Please, God the rest of our lives.
1: When we, before we started this podcast, I didn't know what to expect, but now after this, it's, it's really inspirational. And it's yeah, it's so beautiful podcast. I think it's really. I hope I hope it's really going to help a lot of people.
2: Okay, thank uh, you. Shalom. Thank you so thank much. You.
0: Because of them, the postkadoch the
3: post of the dot dot Kadosh dot the the Oh, the yafapi, the yafapi, im koze achakelo, kadosh, kadosh, kama Hashem ahashem tsilva. Me lo chol haaretz, me harets <laughs> chol haaretz, me lo chol haaretz kevodo viafalpi, viafalpi shehit mamlecha im kose, im kose achakelo, im kose. i For me. For me. she eats my man